Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm in day, um, what is this, like 100 of Hmm. pandemic life? Where are we? Infinity plus three? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I've lost track. So many, many weeks. Completely. However, are you finding this week has been better? Because like we talked about last week, the sun has been shining more. Are you finding it's a little better for you? Yeah. And you know, also I feel like June is coming up and I do feel sort of a change in, and part of this is, um, you know, our state, Maryland had moved to phase one. Um, our county had not, uh, but our, our, um, state had. And then I think there is a, um, a press conference today scheduled for um, our county executive. And I think he's going to announce that, uh, that we are, our county is moving into phase one. So I feel like we're starting to move in the direction of things loosening up. So I don't know, it gives like a little light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, it's tricky because most of Maryland has less restrictions than where we are, but we completely understand why we don't have um, our restrictions lifted yet. We're in a very populated county right outside of D.C., and it certainly makes sense that we would be separate from other areas of the state, and uh, we appreciate the leadership of our state. I think Governor Hogan is doing a great job um, overall with this, and it's, a, it's really complicated, and nobody's led in a pandemic before, just like we haven't, and we've talked about this so many times, we haven't parented in a pandemic before, we haven't coached in a pandemic before, so it's all new, and I think we need to continue to give everyone out there uh, some support and grace and recognizing that it's, it's tough to navigate this. Um, at the same time, when when a pool opens, if it's safe, oh my gosh, that's going to oh. just bring so much joy. To right so now, many that's like my number ages. one. I and I did see that they're going to make a recommendation. Actually, yesterday, Maryland uh, announced. I believe it was Governor Hogan announced that pools, outdoor sports camps, um, there are a number of things that are going to be allowed to now open. So again, that didn't really apply to our county until we hear what happens today with the county. But, um, that, I think, like I said, that, that kind of gave me like, Ooh, there's a little bit of, of hope at the end of town. Now we still have to be careful. I mean, just because things open doesn't mean that the virus is gone and we can, you know, go back to normal. And I think that's really important to remember too. We've, um, seen uh, a lot of people actually get sick with COVID and healthy runners who otherwise are doing everything quote unquote, right. And sometimes it's just, you know, it's the nature of this, of this virus that you, you may end up getting it and you can be healthy and in really good condition and good shape. Um, so I think we still have to be really careful about what we do, but yes, I am, cannot wait for the pool to I really want for the, the pool to open. Although I will say I, I have friends in other States where the pools have opened and they said it's a, it's a mess because the HOAs that are in charge of the pools or the, whatever the pool boards are trying their best uh, to come up with systems that keep, the, uh, you know, keep the numbers down and keep people socially distanced and it's never going to make everybody happy. So there's a lot of, a a lot of stress over reopening the pool. So I think as much as I want it, I don't want any stress that might come with it, but I'll, I'll take my, take my chances. So that goes back to my original statement. I'll add to the long list. Nobody's managed a pool in a pandemic before. Exactly. (laughs) Right. When you said that, we're all like, you know, just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and trying everyone I think is trying to do what's best and what's right. So, uh, so 
I, I can't wait for the polls to open though. That's looking at a long summer ahead of no camps now. Camps have been canceled uh, and no activities and some some limits to, to what we can do. Some travel has been restricted. So uh, the pool would be great. For sure. And um, to your other point about the virus, there's, there's only so much we can control. We've talked about this a lot, control the controllables. And we've seen a lot of articles and information out there about what we can do to stay healthy. But conversely, we've seen too many healthy, healthy people doing all the right things, as you mentioned, Lisa, who are getting the virus. So we also want to just mention that it's not something we can completely control. So I think it's best to keep doing you and doing all the things that make you happy, um, not living in constant fear, but, but living in a place of acknowledgement that it's out there and taking the necessary precautions to provide comfort and safety to yourself as well as the people around you. Um, paths and trails continue to be more and more crowded, especially in the morning now because the weather is warming up. So last month, we were able to sit here and say things like, run at different times of the day to avoid crowds. Um, try to run in unique spots where you're not running into people necessarily within six feet. But this week, the heat and humidity has really um, uh, caught on in the, our area as well as other areas of the country. And as a result, wisely, people are running early in the morning. And as a result, I know I've seen so many more runners out there, which is fine. And what that means for me is that I just continue to be vigilant about wearing a buff and putting it over my nose briefly when I happen to be near people within six feet, which is not often, but has been happening more and more. Lisa, what have your experiences been this week with respect to the weather being warmer? Uh, yeah, I think I've seen, you know, a few more people out. I don't think anything really for me, nothing noticeably has changed. One thing that's changed has been I've seen, I used to see a lot of runners and walkers with masks and buffs on out when I was out and very few now. And I think that's partly because it's hot out and people aren't comfortable in them. Um, but, but in the same, you know, in the, in the same breath, the, it, it's been easy to socially distance on the, the routes that I run. So uh, it's not unsafe or it's not that I'm running, you know, very close to people that don't have, I've been wearing my buff around my neck. It has not bothered me yet, but I'm pretty tolerant of the heat. Uh, but again, most where, as before, a few weeks ago, I'd be out running, I'd say maybe half the people would have uh, their their buffs on or their their masks on. Now maybe I'll see one other person who has a buff or a mask. So just fewer people. I think people are getting a little more comfortable being outside, running and exercising and doing things outside and feeling better that being outside is is probably the safest place to be. So that's really the only difference that that I've noticed. Yeah, I think the other um, reason maybe we're not seeing as many people outside in masks is because people are a little less confused. There's been a lot more data and charts that have been rolled out that really clearly explain that if you're in a, outside and you are not coming into contact with people within six feet, you don't need a mask. And so, you're passing them very quickly. You know, you're passing. Yeah. What it seems like is that the two variables that are most important are proximity and time. So if you are very close to somebody, for an extended period of time and indoors versus outdoors. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about this on our next podcast with a, with a physician 
who's going to share some of some of his his insights and his information. But I think that seems to be the consensus is that really the highest risk is when you are indoors in close proximity for longer periods of time. And so if you're outdoors and you're passing people very quickly and you're not close, the risk goes down. So I think you're right. I think people are starting to feel a little bit more comfortable and understand uh, it, there's so much that's unknown about this virus. So I think that's, that's part of it, but, um, but yeah. And, and like I said, it's hot out. So I don't think people are very comfortable wearing, wearing no, something over their face. It totally sucks. I mean, even even just the brief time that I have to put the buff over my nose. Yeah, I'm not comfortable doing it, but I'm, I'm happy to do it to be, I'm happy to be out there running and I'm happy to do it to make others feel comfortable. But to your point, I, I do want to ask the doctor when we interview him, I'm excited that we're interviewing him for next week's episode. Um, he, I do want to ask him about those murky sort of areas where logically wear a mask if you're inside with people um, with whom you're not quarantined um, for a longer period of time. But what about if you're outside and you're with people for a longer period of time, you're six feet apart, but let's say like you're in the driveway and your chairs are in a circle around a, yep, a fire you're hanging, you're hanging out on somebody's back deck. Yeah. All sitting out around the deck spaced appropriately and it's outdoors, but right. Absolutely. That's yeah. a very good question. Okay. Yep. So we will ask him next week. Um, so. For this week, before we continue talking, we might as well talk about who we're interviewing this week because, oh my gosh, she is amazing. So Sarah Mulcahy, um, we found her uh, about a month ago. We started following her because she she doesn't have a real high profile on social media, which, by the way, like that does not indicate that you have a better story if you have more followers or not. So people just aren't into social media. And so when you find someone's story and you see that they don't have much of a following and you actually learn more, you're kind of like, wow, I wonder how many more people out there that we don't know about that have these incredible stories. There are hundreds of thousands, I'm sure. So to that end, if anyone knows a runner out there that you think would be um, someone that you think we should interview for our podcast, please send them our way because we, we don't know everyone out there, obviously. And those with higher profiles, we learn about, we hear about them on other podcasts. We're thrilled to interview them as well. But someone like Sarah, um, she just has an incredible story. Um, what really drew us to her and why we wanted to interview her is not only because she recently ran in the Olympic trials, but it's her story before that and her injuries and her setbacks and the fact that she really started running relatively recently is a super talented runner, but what makes her so talented is clearly her grit. And Lisa, do you remember what time she said she wakes up in the morning to run? 3 a.m. Was it 3 a.m.? I think 3. It was incredible. Crazy, <laughs> crazy early. She's got kids. Um, she's a teacher. So just like all of us, she juggles a lot. And um, and she's faced a lot of challenges with injuries and she's had to, to get through that too. So, and she's just so down to earth and very, um, relatable. Yeah, for sure. So we are excited to bring her on next. Um, before we do, we also want to announce our results from the pandemic improvement project. We will also post these on our social media, but we were super, super happy and excited for the number of participants. We are also thrilled to announce that we will be launching the second pandemic improvement project. So for those of you who missed out and weren't able to do it the first time around, no worries, we'll be doing it again. And um, Lisa, 
what do you think about having our start date be on Global Running Day? I think that would be perfect. Perfect. Appropriate. So next time trial for people who've already participated, get to do another one, um, which will have been about two or three weeks, I think, since. So it'll be a little bit close. But uh, And anyone who hasn't participated before an opportunity to do their first time trial, I I think that's a great idea. So without further ado, Lisa, why don't you uh, make the announcements? Drum roll. Yep. So first I wanted to say we had about 100, around 100 people participate and just some kind of a general overview. It was pretty split between men and women. We had, uh, I think, some more, a little bit weighted more heavily toward women than men. But our age range was from seven years old to 69 years old. And uh, we had um, just a range of of, uh, experience and um, and. Almost everybody improved, and we're going to talk about this more in a second. Um, you know, a couple people finished about the same time, or maybe a second or two, or ten seconds even slower. Uh, that does not mean they did not gain fitness. It doesn't mean they didn't maintain their fitness. And again, we'll talk about that in a little bit more. But so we divided it up into masters, which is forty and above, and open, which is under forty. And I will start with our uh, oldest and greatest <laughs> our older <laughs> runners our our fasters faster as the masters uh our our number one well let's start with number three let's go let's go backwards number three was andrew winter who uh, is 50 years old and he actually lives near us we know andrew and he went from an 844 to a 732 mile which was a uh 14 increase and so and we we should say that we looked at percentage improvement because somebody who takes off 10 seconds per mile at a 12 minute mile and somebody who takes off 10 seconds per mile at a six minute mile, it's just, it's a different percentage improvement. So we did look at percentage improvement. So Andrew, number three, number two, Colleen Sousa, who's one of our virtual clients who lives in New Hampshire. She is also 50 and she went from an 816 to a 704. And this, Colleen was actually on our, on our uh, call last night with our virtual clients. Colleen works as a nurse too. So she's on the front line. She's got a lot going on. And she still managed to go from an 816 to a 704. And then first place, Heather O'Neill, who also lives uh, locally a little north of us. She's 51. And she went from a 1204 to a 9.48, which is a 19% improvement. So that's our our master's crew. And then moving to our open, our open, our third place open winner was uh, our youngest runner, Bryce Andrews, who is seven years old and went from a 9.53 to an 8.52, which is amazing. Although we should say he has some some genetic, uh, genetic, capabilities. His father runs in the five minute mile range. So definitely has some, some genetic, uh, some genetic abilities. So that was third place. Second place, another one of our virtual running clients from, uh, from Iowa, Darcy, Darcy Lane went from a 1043 to a 928. And Darcy is also working on, um, she has a, love this, she has a challenge with her college or her law school roommates or friends from law school, a, a 5K challenge. So they just did their first 5K uh, kind of time trial to start. And she's now working on getting that 5K time down so that she can beat all of her law school friends. And she is well on her way with that time. And then in first place, 
another one of our virtual coaching clients from Chicago, Samantha Stolter. So Sam went from a 1041 to a nine minute mile. Now we should preface that with Sam is coming back from injury, but still a huge, huge improvement. And um, she's been really patient with her running and we know she's still going to get even faster than that, but uh, a huge improvement. That was a 16% improvement. So those are our uh, winners and we are so grateful for everyone for participating. We love just getting the emails of, you know, the, the excitement and uh, people seeing that really when you put the work in and you put your mind to it, what kind of improvement you can see. And we talked to a lot of our runners about that. And we did want to just mention, we talked about this on our call with our coaching clients last night. You may not always see an improvement, especially if you've been running for a very long time. If you've been, if you've just started, or maybe you're just coming back from injury, you're going to see big jumps. So you're going to see those 10%, 15% improvements. If you've been running for a really long time and you've already really, you know, worked toward the top of your curve, your trajectory, your improvements may be smaller percentages. They may only be 1%, 2%, 3%. And sometimes they may even go down. You may even see, you know, get a little bit slower. And it does not reflect anything on your fitness. It a few, a few points. First, there are so many variables that go into a time trial. Uh, the, the heat, the humidity, the course that you do can all be, can all be a factor. Uh, just your sleep that you had that week, your stress, whatever. There, obviously, you cannot replicate two exact same, same efforts. So that's one factor. And then the other is that you know, periodization. We all go through periods where we kind of maintain or step back a little bit so that we can then improve. So um, just because you see a dip in your times definitely does not mean that you've lost any fitness. A few of our runners tried to do the time trial in the heat, the, the really hot humidity or couldn't run it until evening and said that they obviously felt that, you can actually go online and look up heat equivalent paces calculators. And there are several out there. Runners Connect has one. Um, there's several heat equivalent pace calculators. And you can put in your time trial from the first time and the temperature and the dew point and your time trial from the second time and the temperature and the dew point and compare. You can even do that when you're out running your uh, training paces and you're trying to hit maybe a marathon pace mile or you're trying to hit your 5K pace. You can go in there and, and put that in your, uh, you know, in that heat calculator, which is just a, you know, it's, it's, it's just an algorithm. So it's not exact, but it will give you an idea of how much you will slow down in the heat. So we can link that in the show notes, Lisa, that heat calculator yep. for those who've not used it before. And I also wanted to just give a shout out. Um, you had mentioned earlier, Bryce Andrews, his dad, Stephen Andrews, I found the time he did a five, a 541 for his. Um, oh yeah, there it is. I see it now. Mile, now, now mile time. He went so, 551 to 541. Yeah. So that's, that's quite impressive because like you just mentioned, he's someone who's an experienced runner and to be able to decrease your mile time um, when you're already at that level is exponentially harder sometimes, especially if you're not um, specifically training. So we, we don't specifically coach Stephen to know his history, but we, we know that just the fact that he was able to improve at that level during this time is impressive. And then um, I also want to give a shout out to one of our virtual coaching clients, uh, Lisa White. She went from a 630 to a 612. Um, during this time. And again, she's someone who's been running for many years. So to be able to knock down her mile time at, at that level is, is quite impressive. And, and that, um, that was our fastest, I think that was our fastest female participant mile yes. time, the six, yep, 612. Yeah. Yep. So um, 
really, uh, we're so impressed with everyone's results per just by virtue of participating and having the motivation to go out and do a time trial right now is the first step. That's really difficult. Just having the mental and physical ability to get out there and push yourself during this time in this bubble is hard. And then going out and doing it again <laughs> is also hard. So we just want to give props to everyone who participated. And we are so inspired by you and your willingness to put out the effort. And so we welcome the opportunity to have anyone participate again. And we are happy to do that. So um, to those who have been recognized, we will provide you with further information and, and send you some swag as promised. And we look forward to more participants the next time. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Lisa, before no, we move on? No, just speaking of swag, it just reminded me that we've had um, people who are very generously and kindly gave us reviews and we've promised buffs to send out. Our buffs have been delayed, no surprise, due to COVID. So that delivery of the buffs has been delayed to us. It should be, they should be to us in the next couple of weeks. So we will get those out to everybody. So we just do have your addresses and all your shipping information and just um, hang tight. Those will be on the way. Yeah, for sure. Um, lastly, before we head over to um, our interview with Sarah, we just wanna mention that we believe there's going to be an announcement today by the BAA uh, slash the mayor of Boston regarding the status of Boston. Uh, we don't have specifics about that announcement, but we very much believe it will be an announcement of the race cancellation. Um, we know that this is very disappointing for so many, but we also know and are comforted by the fact that the BAA has consistently done the right thing in terms of making sure that runners are treated fairly and honoring uh, what it means to be a Boston Marathon entrant. And to that end, we, we know that the BAA is carefully considering all options to ensure that those who are scheduled to participate in the 2021 Boston Marathon will be given their fair shot. And I don't have specific information to base the statement on other than every single statement, every single action by the BAA over the years has always been fair. We know, and you know, after listening to Dave McGilvery on our podcast, how much he, how, how much thought he and the BAA put into the Boston Marathon to ensure that the marathoners are treated with the most fairness and the most understanding and we just hope that everyone exercises a little bit of patience we know our listeners do but in general that whatever decision the BAA makes and the city of Boston makes that they recognize that it was not made in a vacuum there are so many considerations and we have so much respect and props for the BAA and what they have had to navigate during this time yep very well said and it will be a very sad moment, I have to say. It's just like, um, I think, the camps and all the other decisions where you know it's coming and it's the right decision, but it's still heartbreaking. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> totally sucks. It does. I, I don't know. I um, live in this, like, suspended, you know, I live in the, well, there's still hope. I'm like, you know, the optimist. The glass is half full and, you know, maybe, maybe it will still happen. Maybe. And then once the announcement comes out, there's no, there's no getting around it. And, and we don't know what the announcement will be. We have heard there will be an announcement and, and we have to think that if the announcement is taking place now, 
in, in this right, right now in this moment, the only announcement it can be is that it is canceled. Yeah. So, so I always want to, and we always want to end our podcast on a funny note. So I think in keeping with that theme, I saw something this morning that I wanted to share. It is uh, a tweet and I, I need to give the tweet, the tweeter credit. It's from Carolyn Moss. I don't know Carolyn Moss, but it's a funny tweet and I will read it to you. You ready? I'm ready. Just realized in 25 years, there's going to uh. be an American girl doll who lived through the coronavirus pandemic and her $86 accessories will be the following, a little Nintendo Switch, a tiny thing of Clorox wipes, and a tiny replica of fake bread that she learned to bake herself from a YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I have to say, I saw one that said, um, I think it was a meme or you know, somebody, a tweet or meme that said, so all those people five years ago who answered the question, where do you see yourself from you know, five years ago? They were all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you all failed. Not a oh single person got that question right. So I'm glad we can laugh about this. Yes, we will continue to laugh because I think that's what's most important. We have to find these silver linings. So um, Lisa, I am one of my biggest silver linings is having the chance to chat with you week after week during this, this time. And I, I'm so thrilled that we get to do this together. I'm so grateful for our listeners. I'm so grateful for the people who are willing to come on our podcast and share their stories week after week. And to that end, we are really excited to bring you Sarah Mulcahy this week. And we hope you enjoy her interview as much as we did. We promise you will walk away inspired and interested in learning more about Sarah. And we will put all of her uh, contact information in the show notes as well. So Lisa, I hope you have a great week. Thank you. You too. I also have to add that doing the podcast at least lets me know what day it is. <laughs> oh yeah, it's Thursday. So I can check the days. Otherwise, <laughs> I have no idea what day it is. So, so thank you for that um, consistency to my schedule. <laughs> no problem. I'm, I, I'm happy to bring you the day of the week. Do you remember the song "Days of the Week"? Yeah, Days of the Week. <laughs> All right. So it's Thursday, and. Uh, We'll be back next week with, as we mentioned, um, we're bringing on Dr. Eric Anderer next week. He's going to also be a great interview, and we hope that will also provide you some additional clarity as we uh, navigate week week uh, nine or ten. No, it's more than twelve. That. I don't know. I'm, I've lost twenty. Track. All right. Well, anyway, infinity, have a great week, Lisa. <laughs> All right. Bye, Julie. Bye. Sarah Mulcahy, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Sure. So we wanted to kick it off. Um, please tell our listeners um, your name, where you're from, how old you are, and um, a little bit about your running experience. Um, I'm Sarah Mulcahy. I'm 34 years old. I was born and raised in northern, a little town in northern Maine called Eagle Lake. I went to school in Port Kent, which is where now I currently reside. Um, I went to college in Southern Maine, and I taught in Southern Maine for four years, and then I taught in Eastern Maine in a small town called Baileyville for seven years after that, and we just recently moved back to Northern Maine um, this in 2018, so this is our, this is our second, this will make two years. 
So um, I, this is where I'm from. So I'm kind of back. You, you know, you leave town at 17, 18 years old and I'm never going back. And here I am. I moved back 15 years later. So <laughs> um, it's pretty much winter all the time up here. At least it feels that way. So we have our first 80 degree day, they said, in 267 days. Was we hit and we hit 80 today and that's so it's been a long time did you, I mean, go, did you go out to run today have you run today yet yeah I run it I run when everybody sleeps pretty much yeah. I run in my headlamp 99% of the time so um, really really early like three o'clock in the morning when wow. everybody's asleep so that's uh, <laughs> that's when I run there's nobody on the road except me in the logging trucks and uh, wow yeah and then I get home so that I'm home for my kids and um, kind of that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah, we, Sarah, we definitely as moms know know that routine, but 3 a.m., that is, I mean, what time do you go to bed so that you can wake up at that time? With, pretty much with my kids. We're in yeah. bed by 8, the three of us, you know, it's, we kind of joke uh, when my, because my husband's on a night shift right now, but when, when he's home, he pretty much tucks the kids and me into bed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I teach during the day and then I come home and I coach when we can coach right now. We're not doing anything. So, but. So Sarah, you are a dedicated runner. Obviously you just mentioned that you start your day at 3am with your run. Um, talk to us a little bit and tell us when you started running and a little bit about um, your running history. Um, I actually never ran cross country or track in high school or college. Um, actually my husband did that, which is kind of comical because now <laughs> he, he hates running with a passion. So, <laughs> um, but I, uh, started in college. I, in, I, my freshman year of college, I was 2003 and, uh, the spring of 2004, I had a, I always walked. I was a big walker. That was always huge in my family. So I could walk for, you know, seven, eight miles and it was no problem, you know, like a high paced power walk. And a buddy of mine said, why don't you try running? And I was like, why would anybody want to run? <laughs> and, and he's, and so he basically said, well, let's just try it. And you know, you go the first half mile and I was like, no, this, this is terrible. Why do people run? And then <clears throat> after you get past that first mile and then got to the point, you know, after a year I was more or less just, then I was hooked and I was like, okay. And that was my stress reliever. And I would just go out and run when I wasn't working or doing school or whatever. Um, and then I graduated college in 07. And after college, I, my husband went in 2009, went away to the Border Patrol. So he went away to Texas. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to run my first race. And I, in March of 20, 2009, I signed up for the Beach to Beacon. I, I don't think that most people should have their first race be the Beach to Beacon. Um, but <laughs> I said, I'm going to do this. So I signed up, get in, and I'm like, I can run the 10K. I've been running, you know, 10 miles or whatever. Um, well, when he went to Texas, I went to join him and, uh, like to visit and uh, they had like a random race. It was like a 5k, like, I think it was a donut run or something like that. And I convinced him and some other people to run it with me and we ran it and I ended up coming in like first in my age group. And then I was like, Oh, well, that's pretty cool. And then I did another one in Texas before I ran the beach to begin. And I, I can't remember if it was 20, 2009 or it must've been 2010 that I ran the first beach. That was my first like beach beacon. And then I, I ran an 8k in Texas and then like ended up winning for females. And I was like, well, I guess I'm like halfway decent at this. I'm not even <laughs> training. Like I'm not, 
I'm just running to run. Like there's nobody telling me what to do. I don't really know anything other than to put one foot in front of the other and just going to go. And then I did the beach to beacon did fairly decent. <clears throat> and I was, but, I, but like for that to be like one of your first races, that's pretty intense. <laughs> Yeah, for those who don't know, um, explain a little bit about the Beach to Beacon. It's an iconic race, but for yeah. those listening who may not be as familiar, just share a little bit about that and why that's an unusual choice for uh, your very well, first race. It's Maine's, Maine's biggest race. Um, it's also run by Joan, Joan Bonoint Samuelson, who is, I amazing. call her the founding <laughs> woman of running. I mean, she's amazing. Um, and there's probably, you know, anywhere from six to 8,000 runners and 10,000 spectators. And so, and it sells out in three minutes. And so it's kind of one of those, you're just like praying by your computer that your internet works and that everything goes okay. So you can get in. So, and I had just heard about it from a couple people that I worked with. So it was like, okay, well, let's just give it a go. And then, I mean, I think I remember if that first one, it was, again, it's always hot and humid that race. And I don't, I don't know. I don't think they could have anything but hot and humid weather in Cape Elizabeth in August. So, um, but it was just one of those things, you know, wow, I did the beach weekend. Now I can do anything. And then I started, I did my first half marathon in 2011. I would say it was the main half marathon did fairly decent. I want to first or second in my age group. And then I said, okay, well I can try for a marathon. I'm going to, I'm going to well, do let's, let's go back for a second. You don't have to be modest with us. Yep. Tell us a little bit, if you remember generally what your times were then when you first started running and you did fairly decent in this 10 K and then the half marathon and the five K's like, where I'm were trying you? To think, I'm trying to think my, that first 10 K in uh, the beach, in the beach weekend, it, it was somewhere around 40 some odd minutes. I can't, I, I mean, I want to say I'm, I'm thinking, I can't remember, you know, uh, 42 maybe something like that mm -hmm. 43 you know it was like over sevens um for the first time which and then you look at where you placed and I was like oh fair that's like at least in the top half of the group that's pretty decent mm -hmm. and then that first main half marathon I'm trying to I don't remember recall what my time was I want to say it was like a 130 something or whatever and and I was like oh that's you know it was like first or second in my age group I can't remember off the top of my head and then uh then that's when I was like okay well this is I'm getting I guess I'm pretty decent maybe I'll actually train for a marathon I had no clue what I was getting into but I just and then I just like kind of researched some programs and I at the time I didn't have like the running community that I have now um I didn't really know anybody until I started competing more and then it was like okay I see everybody all the time and that's when I said okay I'll do Sugarloaf and I tried for Sugarloaf, trained for it, and we were living in Down East Maine at the time, in the Calais area, and then um, that was 2012, and I remember training all winter, and I mean, Maine, if you live in New England, you know what our winters are like, and it was, you train all winter long, and I, we got to Sugarloaf, and it was 85, <laughs> and oh. so, on <laughs> And I just remember finishing and I looked at my husband and I was, and there was a guy who like helped me finish. I'll never forget him. It was like, you know, you know, you get to mile 20 and they're like, I was like, I'm done. Like, I don't like heat. Like I live in Northern Maine. Like I'd rather run in 20 degree weather. And he like helped me finish because he was ready to quit. He said, he goes, my wife's in that car over there. She's in, and I said, well, I'll, I'll finish if you finish. Aww. And we just kind of ran a mile and then we walked a little bit and then we ran a mile and then we walked a little bit. 
And then we got to the finish line. And I just wrote down, I'm like, why? <laughs> and then it was like, oh, then I signed up for MDI. And <laughs> I was like, but I mean, that was three first marathon, 349-ish and change. And that was like with like walking and, you know, walk break and then take it and not knowing what to expect. Like, I think my longest run, like in preparation for it was like a 20 miler. Yeah. What did your training look like? I mean, you had put your kind of your own plan together, but what did it look like? Was it, I had used a training program and I'm trying to remember which book I used it from because I have two or three and I don't know if it was the runner's world book or one of the books that had a marathon training program. And I used more of like an intermediate plan cause I had been running for a while. So I was like, I'm not a newbie to running and, mm-hmm. and I had been putting distance in. So I wasn't, but I, I mean, I hadn't put in speed workouts. Like I really knew what, like, I didn't really know what to do as far as like, you know, hill intervals and speed workouts and all that. I just kind of like wung it and then, you know, read and like read whatever the workout said to do. I kind of just read it and then attempted to do it in the middle of winter. (laughs) You know, I didn't have a treadmill. I didn't have access to any of that. I just went out in a snowstorm and probably not the safest thing. And my husband pretty much wanted to, you know, take my sneakers and throw them away. (laughs) Well, that was a year, that was a year that in 2012, you really got unlucky for your first marathon because that was the same year that it was extraordinarily hot in Boston. So we yeah. Im- imagine it was the same weather pattern around the same time of year. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Cause so- Sugarloaf is May. It's right before Boston or right after Boston. So it's like that same. Yeah. So after that miserable experience, you wanted a second bite at the apple. So what yeah. happened at Mount Desert Isle? Island when you did that marathon for you your went second down and it was torrential rain oh like, my gosh <laughs> not even talking you I'll never forget my husband's parents had come and my parents had come and I mean I finished I did very well I can't I can't remember like first in my age group I want to say and I mean I had like a I think I ran like a 312 or something like that you know or 350 somewhere in there and uh you know or 321 maybe I don't know it was like a 20 minute difference or something like that and uh, it was torrential, like it was pouring rain. And my mother said, I'm never watching you race again. Like, <laughs> it's like, if this is what I have to do, she goes, I'm never sitting in. And really, she's only seen me race a couple times since then. <laughs> Unless it's sunny and 80, which is terrible for runners, she's not going to bother. Yeah, it's harder to spectate in that weather than to run. Like when you're running. Oh, yeah. they, they were, they were okay. so. Spectating. So we were we were fine as runners, but oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And Mount Desert Island, I don't know if either of you run that race, but it's extremely challenging. The course is extremely challenging. It's, it's consistently hilly and the second half is worse than the first half. So, you know, my goal for Mount MDI, I've run it for the last quite, I mean, eight years or so, um, give or take, you know, some years I didn't run, but, uh, it's, if I negative split it, I'm thinking it's a good day because yeah, I've done it like twice, negative split that course, and wow. it's pretty tough. So you obviously cut a lot of time off. You realize that you're, as you, as you said in your words, I'm pretty good at this. At what point did you say, I'm going to get more serious? Because your running has really um, taken off, and you've really um, cut your times from – being a a really great runner to an amazing runner so what happened between 2012 when you realized you you had natural talent and and now in terms of what you've done to improve your running well I ran more in in 2013 we moved to Downey Spain and I was teaching 
and my husband was, he works shift work and he was, we didn't have any children at the time and he worked most weekends. So on the weekends, I would just find a race and go to it. And he's like, that's fine. You know, and I would just do a day trip by myself and I'd go find a race and do it. And I was in the Ellsworth area of Maine a lot, which is a, it was like a two hour drive from where I lived. And to the, I was there so often, almost every weekend. Some people actually thought I lived there because I would just go to every, you know, I just, I upped my racing game. I did, I spent 2013, you know, we, we did a lot. I did a lot of races. I, I, you know, 5K, 10K, whatever. Like some races we did two in a weekend. Um, 2013, I also ran the Bay of Fundy Marathon for the first time. And that was a brand new marathon. And it was like an hour from my house. So I could sleep in my own bed. And and I'd have to say it rivals Mount Desert Island is probably 10 times tougher as far as hills go. But you go into Canada and you come back out, you run Campbell. It's beautiful. I recommend it to all kinds of people. What's uh, the name of it again? The uh, Bay of Fundy International Marathon. It sounds really fun. Yeah, it's in Lubeck. It's awesome. And it's every June. It's usually the, the Sunday after Father's Day. And um, I ran that and then I won it. And uh, with, you know, a friend of mine, Robert Ashby, who's another really good runner for Maine. And we've pretty much won that course together almost every, every year that I've run it and, and we've run it together, you know. So we, we, we kind of have like the dynamic duo for Down East Maine. Uh, it's kind of fun, you know, we just, uh, but like I, in 2013, I ran a lot. And then in 2014, well, in 2013, at the end of the year, in November that year, we found out we were pregnant for Olivia. And then uh, that's when I, I had, my goal in 2013 was to qualify for Boston. And when I ran Bay of Fundy, I had cut more time off of my Mount Desert Island time. So I had like a 301 and change or one, whatever from at Bay of Fundy. So I had a pretty good seed at Boston. I was like for my first ever Boston. And then we found out in November we were pregnant and I was like, oh boy. And so I had already registered for Boston because as you know, you do it in September. And I had talked to my OB and he said, he said, you're fine. He goes, just run. And he goes, just keep doing your thing. Don't. And he goes, don't get out of breath and don't overheat. And he goes, it's all I, he goes, I have two rules. And, and so I just trained through the winter, but I didn't, I did a lot of it on the elliptical. I just kept it nice and easy. And I, anytime the weather was good, I went out and ran, um, you know, even with cleats on, but I just kind of through that winter, I, you know, I did a lot of elliptical stuff just to keep it from going outside when it was treacherous. Um, ran Boston. I was six, a little over six months pregnant with Liv. And, uh, it was like, that was a good year. I mean, it was like 65. Um, and I think I ran right around four hours, but I, and you know, and I just followed the, you know, the rule of don't overheat and, uh, just keep hydrated. So I just kind of took water cup, couple of them every stop, one poured on my head, took one and went. Um, and then we had live and wait, let's go back for one second. So your first Boston was then 2014. Yeah. That's a wonderful first Boston because that it was such was, a special it year. Was, it was, it was super crazy. And it was like to be there right after that was uh, unreal. Yeah. Yeah. And, that was super special. Um, both, this is a, a Boston Marathon focused podcast. So we'll spend a minute on Boston. And I have to ask you, what were the crowds like when they saw this cute little pregnant gal running by? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they thought I was crazy or what, but I, you know, I had on one of those, I run for two shirts and there was another lady who had another one on. She was pregnant too. We kind of ran most of the way together, but it, it just was, 
it was unreal. Like it was, and you know, every time you walk by and it, you know, you run by and you've got a belly <laughs> and everybody's like, Oh my God, if she's, and I'm like, and I always tell people if I'm doing it, you can do it. So, and <laughs> just get up off your butt and go. <laughs> did you start in your um, regular wave that year or did you yep. go back? So I started in my regular wave and I just kind of took my time and I, I mean, I don't think I did terrible. I think I was like, I can't even remember wave two, wave three, but I just kind of went with it. And I was like, I'm not here for breaking any records. So <laughs> what, what, what else did you take away from that first Boston experience? What do you, what do you remember from it? I just, I remember the sun shining and the crowds and I just waved at everybody all the time. And like everybody was waving at me and you know, they're giving you thumbs ups and high fives. And it's just like, there's nothing like Boston. Like there really isn't. There's, there's no race that compares. I mean, it's non, it's nonstop. Like it's wall to wall people for 26 miles, which for me who run, al I run alone 99% of the time. That's just motivation in itself. Yeah. For sure. How many Boston's have you run since? I have attempted to run three. I finished two, um, in 2015 or 16. I'm trying to think of when I went out. I went out one year with, I want to say it was 2016. I went out with a groin injury at mile 10, either groin or hip flexor. I, mean, I think it might've been a hip flexor in at mile 10. And it wasn't good going in and I wasn't sure if I was going to finish. So like we, I had a backup plan mm -hmm. so, and I, I went out at mile 10, you know, and I just said, Oh, I'm not risking further injury. So yeah. yeah, well let's, let's, so let's go back to Boston 2014. You ran it while you were pregnant. And then I'm assuming after you ran Boston, then did you take some time? Like, did you have some downtime then before you gave birth? Or well, did you well, it's funny. Cause, uh, the Bay of Fundy Marathon is in June of every year. And obviously I was registered to r run and I did, I did a 10 K in the, the first week of June. So I was pretty, pre pretty pregnant, probably 34, 35 weeks. I, I mean, I did, I mean, again, just slow rolled that 10 K um, because it was right, not far from where I lived. And I, and then Bay of Fundy is usually like three weeks later is that, you know, right after father's day in June. <laughs> and I said, and I, the race director is a good friend of mine, John Huff. And he says, he looks at me, he goes, you are not running. I'll get you your bib because I had bib number one. And he goes, I'm going to give you your bib. And he goes, but you are working the finish line. He goes, I cannot <laughs> give, he goes, I am not having you go into labor on this course. And <laughs> so I actually ended up working that race. And then Olivia came actually not long after she was born on July 2nd. So, um, you know, it was probably a good thing. We didn't have any any problems on the car <laughs> that was one smart race director i love yeah. his approach i will well, give you bib number one if you don't run yeah he's like here's your bib and here's your shirt but you're gonna work the finish line so i i actually ran the finish tape and then i was the person you know i gave medals out at the end and helped people out at the finish line and was that hard for you to not run it it really, it was and it wasn't because I was like, there was no physical, I mean, I probably could have run it and run like a really, really slow marathon, but it was just, it was fun to watch other people, you know, how, you know, do their thing. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we had Liv in, uh, in July and then I ran MDI in October as my first marathon back. Um, so I had her in July. I started running again probably four or five, five weeks later, I think I got the okay from my doctor to, to run again. And then I said, well, I'm going to run MDI in October. <laughs> and my husband's like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how did that, how did that go? Um, we, we know that for us, I mean, both of our 
all of our kids are a little bit older than yours. So um, when we had our children, um, generally OBGYNs weren't as um, forthcoming about pelvic floor therapy and, and sort of the things that um, women need to do or sort of the check boxes before going back to physical activity to make sure that your ligaments are strong enough to resume running. Did you, given that Liv is, is five, um, yep, he's six in July. Okay. Did you have that with your OBGYN where your doctor was kind of checking in or was it just something where your doctor said, um, five weeks, how do you feel? Go ahead and run. What did he that was, look like? He was super supportive of the whole thing. He had said to me, if, if I had been a person who had not been running and wanted to take it up, he would have said, absolutely not. But he said where I had always been running before my pregnancy and I ran during my pregnancy. So he wasn't too concerned with anything. He double checked, you know, he, I had to go to my visit and all that, of course. And he took care of all that and then made sure that I was good, but he was, he was super supportive. And he, I mean, he goes, I used you as an example to all my other ones that try and say that because they're pregnant, they can't do anything. And he goes, I tell everybody my, I had a six month pregnant lady run the Boston marathon, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Yeah, no, he was very supportive. That's great. That's great yeah. to hear. So um, how did that October marathon go? Let's see, you were like three. Yeah. So like she was born in July, you know, uh, three months later. And I, so like very little training, you know, like eight weeks of training. And then I had a 10 or 12 minute PR. It was, it was unreal. Like it, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was like my fastest marathon. Um, in, Stop uh, it. Yeah, no, it was like, <laughs> Yeah, because I think Usually I had when you ask people like, what is your secret? Like, what did you do? But you really, you just had a baby. And yeah, I just had a baby. Like, and I said, wow, I guess I need to pop out more kids than my husband was like, no. <laughs> wow. So what was your time? What was your time when you crossed? So the I want to say like, if I think back in history, I ran, I must have run 315 at that first Bay of Fundy because I believe I ran like a 312 at MDI. And I was like, oh my God, I had a three minute PR. Like, that's insane. After just having you know, a baby. Uh, and then I had, I came in third overall. I want to say, I, I want to say it was third, third or fourth. I'm almost certain it was third. Um, and Gary Allen's the race director over there and him and I are good friends. So he's just like, he was so ecstatic at the end. <laughs> you know, he's that like, is incredible. Yeah. I want to say it was third. I want to say it was podium finish. Cause I had Liv in my arms. I was going to ask if she was going to, if she was there when yeah. you were finished. Yeah. No, we, and we've gone to MDI every year since 2012. Like even the years I haven't run, like we've gone, like 2013, I went out with a groin strain, but we were still there. And then 2014, I had lived. And then 2015, I think was another bad year. Maybe not. I don't remember. There was, I have it. I wrote it down because I've had so many experiences at MDI that it's just been um, crazy. All blend yeah, no, that was, yeah, that was the first one back and it was, I couldn't ask for a better race, you know, that was pretty awesome. After that race, did you, how did you feel and did you continue running and training for your next race or um, did you experience any challenges after that race, after returning quickly? I didn't really have anything after, but I hadn't, like, I didn't have any plans for anything after 20, after that. And that was, that was 2014. And then in 2015, um, you know, I had, a, I had a few things like that I wanted to do. Um, and I can't remember for sure, like what year it was that I didn't, I'm trying to think about Boston when I did, when I went to, I want to say it was 2016, I went again, but 
in 2015, I just, you know, I focused more on Bay of Fundy and I went in 2015 and I broke three hours over there, I believe. Yeah, that was 2015 was the year I broke three hours at Bay of Fundy and that course is insane. So that was like my big goal. My big goal was I want to break three and to do it on that course, which I always called my home course because I could sleep in my own bed, um, was kind of something special. And had you what done did anything you, between, had you done anything to, to target that sub three? Like what, what had you done to do, you know, what, what did you change about your training when you had that as your goal? You know what I did? I contacted Gary and said I wanted to get faster and he gave me some speed stuff to do. And so I just focused more on some speed work, some actual speed work like that I could do to get faster. And I worked with him, you know, just via, you know, Facebook or email and we went back and forth and he said, do this, do this, do this. And I did a lot of strength workouts on you know I always was working out so I always did strength workouts and I did running I didn't just run you know I used a lot of other programs and stuff to keep my core strong and everything like that but you know just contacting somebody who had a little bit more knowledge about how to get faster and worked with him and when I did it it was pretty exciting so um, that was kind of like the big thing what was a typical workout when you say you did some speed workouts? Um, what, what was a typical workout that you implemented that was different from what you had been doing? He just gave me interval workouts. Really, that's what he just did, had me do, like introduce them to myself, you know, interval workouts, just, you know, run, you know, uh, 400s at this, you know, try and target this pace and then recover and then do, you know, he didn't have anything crazy, but he's like, just introduce a little bit because I hated speed work. I mean, who doesn't like, you know, who likes it? Um, and I used to use five K's as my speed work. I'd go race a five K. Well, now I had a baby, so I couldn't just like up and leave and race a five K. So, um, and I brought Liv a lot of times with me in 2014. I still raced and she came with me and we went, you know, here, there and everywhere, but it wasn't as much and I had to cut it back. And then, uh, I focused on that. And when I broke three, then it was like, okay, what, you know, and I did a few more races here and there. Um, and then we went to Vegas and I ran the Las Vegas strip at night but in September of that year that was like my surprise 30th for my husband he's like you want to go run Vegas he's, and we went three couples and three of us were going to run the marathon and then I I broke it broke my leg stress fracture in my leg my left leg uh prior to that like two months right before we were supposed to leave and how did that happen? If you know, like it was a running injury, it was total run. Like I, it, it was a stress fracture. I ran and it happened in a race. Um, like I will probably never run that. Like I have PTSD. Um, <laughs> it was a three K and it was literally just a race for points. I was, used to be part of the sub five track club out of Bangor. And I went to go do that race. And in the, I, I don't know what happened. Like that was it. Like that was it. I wasn't running after that. Um, and then when I went to the doctor, that's what it was, a stress fracture. I mean, I, I didn't need surgery or anything like that. Um, they literally just had to heal um, because it wasn't anything like the bone was moved or anything. It was just a crack. And uh, so honestly, I used a, a calf sleeve most of the time just to keep the support there. And I, I just kind of let it heal. And after six weeks, I asked my doctor, I was like, do you think I can run Vegas? And I was like, can I run walk Vegas? <laughs> he was like, he's like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. You can run walk Vegas. He, you know, you check, you know, I had an ortho, I was dealing with an ortho. So I was dealing with, and the doctor was a runner. So I felt like I was dealing with somebody who at least had, you know, a little bit of knowledge. And I was, and he's like, I get it. I get it. And I was like, it's kind of a big deal. You know, I want it. I want to do it. So we did, I was able to run Vegas 
run walk Vegas and uh I didn't like push pace or anything I had no training in the two months and uh and it went okay and I did Vegas after the stress so that was like that happened in September we went in November so you can kind of do the math about two months and then I got back from Vegas and Gary Allen posted, who wants to go run in Millinocket? So uh, I don't know if you've heard of Millinocket in the marathon in Millinocket, because if you haven't. Yes, only because of you. <laughs> so tell our listeners why it's so special and what it's about. Oh my gosh, it's the best, it's the best race experience you'll ever have because you don't get anything out of it other than the pure joy of helping people. So in 2015, I just get back from Vegas. It was like mid of, middle of November and Gary posts, who wants to go run a marathon in Millinocket? He had been um researching like mill towns in Maine that have shut down and basically have no economy like things have closed and he was just looking at different ways to help those um is is Gary a race director and your coach is that well he's not my coach anymore I work with Rob Gomez out of Portland now um but uh so Gary is a race director out of Bar Harbor so he he race directs Mount Desert Island Bridge the Gap he's got a ton of races but um, Millinocket is kind of his baby too and he so 50 of us show up in Millinocket and he there's two weeks of advertising he just said who wants to come run and 50 of us showed up and six of us ran the full marathon and this is like something he came up and he's like we're gonna run a marathon and and we're just gonna spend all our money in the town so whatever you would spend on a marathon spend in this town so I had made like, we had no idea where we were going. So I had made little direction cards. Like he told me the route and I just kind of put it on direction cards so that everybody could have a direction, like at least know where you're turning. Like, and it was a looped course. So you did it twice. So once you did it the first time you were like, okay, I know where I'm going, but there were a couple of spots that are tricky. Like if you went the wrong way, you ended up on a, you know, logging road and you didn't want to do that. So, so we did that and there were six of us that ran the full and Gary, myself, and four others, and then everybody else ran a half, and then afterward, we just spent our money in the town, so, you know, you figure you probably spend about a hundred bucks by the time you register and support some charities and whatever when, for a marathon, um, and so that's basically what my goal is. I'm going to go there. I'm going to spend about a hundred bucks, maybe a little more, and we all went out to, and so this is occurring in the first week of December, so you're thinking Christmas is around the corner, you know, all these things. These people have, you know, they're small. They're struggling, so, you know, and so we went out to eat after a huge group of us. And we just like, I said, Hey, how about everybody like, like buy somebody else's meal? Like we, there were a bunch of locals. So like, we kind of like took, you know, everybody kind of took somebody and just like bought their meals like randomly and then, and then didn't say anything. And then we extra tipped the waiter waiters or waitresses, just like, just whatever you were doing to help support something. Well, this blew up this whole marathon. Like we just, we ended up meeting, you know, a whole bunch of people that out of Millinocket that were just wonderful. And then this race one went from like 50 to like 500 the next year. And to like, now it's got over, you know, 2000 people that register every year and it's free. It doesn't cost a dime to register. Your only one response is to support the town. So like, as we're going, like obviously now Gary offers, you know, different things and you can get your, your, you know, like the bibs cost money. They can't get everything donated. So in your registration, if you want to donate to that, you can donate to that cause. And you know, the timing people, we get timing people that are donate, they, you know, they donate their time to do the timing. I mean, it's unreal. Like it literally just brings out like, and it's almost like the joy of Christmas season. It's also a race in Maine in December. So the first year in 2015, we ran in shorts and t-shirts and 
we, you know, I've done it in four layers with hand warmers and toe warmers. And I, you know, you feel like you're going to like freeze to death. It was like 20 below with wind chills. So it, you know, you get what you, <laughs> I was just going to say, Julie and I have to come run that race. I was like, yeah, we need to add that until you said that. Then I was like, Ooh, I don't know. But it's unreal. Like you have to, like you pretty, pretty much prepare for anything. Cause you're yeah. in Maine. you're in Maine in December. So you either can be in, you know, nice weather and chances are you'll freeze you, you know it's gonna be cool but oh, what a cool what a really neat story and what a great um way for the running community to give back yeah. it's just I, I love that and i love how it's blown up and what a great what a great race that is such oh, a yeah. an amazing I, I think we have to add that to our bucket list oh you totally should add it to your bucket list and it, it, it's amazing how the community has now come out and you know Trisha Sear with Moose Drop, and she's a big part of that race. So, I mean, if you look her up too, she'll, she'll, she'll hook you up. Like that's where the medals are made. You pay for them ahead of time. And there's only so many as you sign up, like you have to pay ahead of time because they're handmade like wooden ornaments for your tree. Yeah. They're beautiful. So, and like, she does all the shirt printing and you know, and these people, and like, she's also the one responsible for the alcohol on the course. Like, you, you know, <laughs> alcohol on the course. That's oh yeah. Like you, and I said, I don't know how you people do that. I can't even like oh. unlock a race and still take alcohol. Like I can't do that. And they're taking shots. And I <laughs> Okay. We are definitely going to link this race to our show notes, but also the idea itself could be implemented in any struggling town and given oh, yeah. what's happening in our economy right now and also with races in general, um, the thought of not paying a racing company right now would, and asking them to do things for free is tough. But I love the idea where you opt in to pay for things. So the racing companies, the timing companies aren't giving away things when they're suffering as well, but rather everyone is giving generously to the race and to the town by spending money there. That is amazing, Sarah. So tell us, um, with respect to the race, why is it significant for you? Now, yeah, so Millinocket, the all, in addition to that, people like bring food for the food bank. You know, they bring clothing for the Goodwill. Um, they also bring, they have like this big artisan fair and all the local artisans, um, have like their little things set up and you can go there and kind of shop for Christmas gifts and stuff ahead of time. It's pretty, it's unreal what it has turned into. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Gary. That's oh, yeah. and, and all of you for supporting him in such, in such a huge way. And, and tell us why the race is also significant for you personally, what you've achieved there. Oh my God. It, it's just, it, it's something about just Millinocket, like just that magic. It, it, it is magical. Like, it's just like, I, that was like my first, you know, I ran that. I, I wanted it, you know, two weeks after, you know, a stress fracture. And then I, in 2016, when I ran it, I was about five months pregnant for my son and it was frigid, like 20 below frigid. <laughs> and it, it was, and I was like, you know, I did the first loop and Gary had said to me, he's like, Sarah, if you don't want to do this whole thing, like you're pregnant, we're okay. Like, but it was like that thing in my back of my head, like if I don't finish it, like it's one of those races, like I've done every year. I've raced it every year. If I cut out and I only do the half, I won't have done the full both years. And so in the back of my head, there's this little voice. that's like, you can do it. Just take it easy. So I did it. And I, afterward I was, you know, freezing, but I did it. And I, you know, um, and then in 2017, so in 2016, I had my son, uh, or I found out I was pregnant for him after Millinocket in 2016, in January of 2017 is when I 
had broke my hip. And so in, it was January 28, we had come back from a birthday party. I went to go up these three steps that lead to our, our house from our garage. And they, they're kind of, they were kind of dangerous. And I started to slip, started to slip like, and I turned myself around so I would land on my rear end and not my belly. And I hit the ground and there was like a pot and I was like, I can't move. Like I cannot move. And my live was two at the time. And I, and my husband had just put her in the house and I said, I can't, I literally can't. I mean the tears, like it was the worst pain I've ever experienced. And I, I can just remember. And I was like, Oh my God, it was like six 30 at night. We hadn't eaten dinner yet. We had just come back from this birthday party and you know, it was two hours away from where we were. So we had been on the road and I'm like, I literally cannot move. I can't move. I, and we, he tried, my husband tried to put me in a chair and I was like, Oh my God. And so I was, I was like, I, I can't, I can't move. Like I literally need to go to ER and <laughs> my daughter hadn't eaten supper and I'm thinking, Oh my God. So we, you know, he's like, what do I, do? I was like, I make some kind of a sandwich, shove it in a thing. We call some friends of ours and we were like, can Olivia go with you? Cause he was like, we, I got to take Sarah to ER whatever. We <laughs> We did like a side-by-side -side with friends and we like, my poor little girl, just like drop her with a car seat in somebody else's car with a diaper bag, hadn't packed her any clothes, a toothbrush, anything. Just like, here's, like, here you go. We don't know how long we'll be gone. And then we get to ER, like I actually, when they put me on the bed and they, I mean, I was 31 weeks pregnant. So they couldn't give me really anything for pain. They could give me a shot of, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I wasn't thinking about it, I'd remember, but they could give me this, it was an immediate pain fix, but it only lasted a half hour wow. because they, I had to be middle. But so when my, they put me on the bed, my legs were, there was like a two inch difference in the length of my legs. And my husband actually took a picture. He's like, he's like, I've never seen this. This is unreal. And uh, so they, where we were in Calus, they took the picture and they were like, yeah, your hip is broken and we're going to need to do surgery. And I, and me being me, I said, absolutely not. I'm not doing surgery here. You need to take me to Bangor. They have a NICU. I'm 31 weeks pregnant. I, you know, I, I love this hospital, but however, I need to be near a NICU. Like in the event, my, I go into, you know, something happens with the baby. So the ambulance transferred me to Bangor. We, my whole family had just been to Bangor for this birthday party we were in. So everybody travels back to Bangor. My poor little girl is still at our friend's house. She spent the night there, had no idea. She, thank God, <laughs> she's pretty flexible. Um, and then they did surgery with a hip. You have to operate on pretty much immediately. Um, within 24 hours, or you risk necrosis and you could lose your hip entirely. So, and then I would have had to have like a steel or a titanium, um, kind of thing put in. So they operated on me like eight o'clock the next morning, January 29. Um, and at first the doctor had told me that, um, I may never run again. Like he, at first, before he got in there and did anything, like he was just talking to me himself. He's like, you may potentially never run again. Um, and then after he did the surgery, he's like, you'll run again. He's like, but it'll probably be a year. And I mean, what, did, I they, did they put in like a steel, like a plate and I screws? Have a plate, I have plate and two screws. Okay. Plate and two screws. Yep. And, and he had said, um, that's what he had said to me. He's like, you'll run, but it'll probably be a year. Um, and I was devastated. I, I mean, I like, that is my one. And you know, I, I thank my lucky stars. I mean, I have a beautiful two year old. I'm, you know, pregnant with another baby. I had no idea if it was boy or girl at that point, you know? Um, and it's just like, 
you know, what do you do? Like, right. What's going through your head at this point, especially in terms of your running? I mean, you've achieved so much and it's such a big part of your life. And yeah. And it's like, you don't even know, like I was, my heart was broken and I don't know if you know Tracy Garretta at all from Maine. She's another strong Maine runner, but she's also a very, very good friend of mine. And, and her and I are very strong in our faith. And that's kind of what connects us. And she came to visit me in the hospital and she brought me a little praying angel and, and, uh, you know, she said to me, she's like, you're going to, you're going to run again. Cause our goal had been to qualify for the trials together. And she's like, you still got the 2020 Olympic trials. It's 2016. She goes, she goes, you're going to run again. And I want you to make that your goal. You're going to do it. I'm going to pray for you. And, you know, and we, you know, we, and with her, like just, you know, we just kept in contact and, and she's like, I just, I know like you're going to do it again. And, and I, you know, when you're that, I mean, you don't know, like your heart, like everything, like, and I know, you know, I am thankful every day for my family and my husband. I mean, I'm very blessed, but when you're like, that's my one thing for me, like my, I go run and that's just like my one thing. And to think that you may never do it again. it's like, Oh my God. And so I was, so when Tracy says that, I was like, okay, well maybe I will do it again. But right now I'm just going to focus on this baby that's inside of me and being able to walk again. And so I stayed, I was in the hospital like that, that first day and then one more and then I was released and I actually, because of where, where I lived, um, so I immediately was out of war. I mean, I couldn't go back to teaching. I couldn't walk. So I moved up to my parents for a couple weeks before, cause this was in January and we only had at the end of January and there was only like three weeks till February vacation. So I, they got a sub for me at the school and I um, went to stay with my parents cause my husband had to go back to work and there's, I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to lift. I couldn't pull my two year old around. So they, I mean, I had to have people help me. So I came back up here and I was with my parents for, you know, four, it ended up being four weeks. Cause I went back at the end of February break and then I went back to work and I said, I, I only have so much sick time. I plan to take all my sick time with my baby. So I had, I, my goal was not to go back after having Isaiah in, I knew he was due the first week of April and I was, my goal was not to go back after that. Um, and now I had used all my sick time for this broken hand. Uh, and Isaiah was, he was ready to come. We didn't know if he was a boy or a girl. And, uh, on March 17, St. Patrick's day, I mean, I had literally been back in school three weeks. I think I worked three weeks and I had like that feeling suspicion. I was like, I like on a, it was like a Thursday and I was like, we had had a snowstorm like that week. And I said, I'm not coming back. I won't. I said, this baby's coming this weekend. I know it. Like I can feel it. And he was, he was almost three weeks early. He came and he, he, was ready to come water broke at home <laughs> one o'clock in the morning and he was we made it to the hospital and he was out in three minutes i mean he was fast he was ready to come and he came and i mean he's my saint patrick's day boy and he's he's a good little boy and he came back and after him i i had just had the day before i had him that thursday i just had my six week post-op appointment and the doctor said your bone is healing awesome your hip looks great He's like, you'll be able to run again. Like I had just gotten all this, like, you know, confirmation that everything was great. And then Isaiah came the next day and it was like, cause like the goal was just keep the baby in, like keep the baby in until as long as possible. And he stayed till 37 and a half weeks, like keep him in as long as, or keep him or her. We didn't know at the time until the longest possible. And that, you know, he made it to the six week and then he was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> And, and had, yep. you, had you been doing any PT yet before at, at this point or had, what was your like recovery process like at that point? So I was fortunate 
I have a sister that's a PTA. Um, so when I, they had, when they had offered me in Bangor, cause my family lives, we live three hours North of Bangor. So for me to do PT, I would have had to do it through Fort Kent, which is fine. I could have, but I told them, I said, and my sister at the time was living with my parents. She wasn't married yet. And so I said, I have a sister that's a PTA and they're like, yeah, yeah, she can just give you the exercises to do. She'll know what to do. So she had between the PTA in Bangor and, or the PT in Bangor and her, they had given me a list of exercises. So every day I was doing the PT to get better at walking. But honestly, once the baby came, my hip finally was like, like relief. Like once the baby was out of me and it was because the constant pressure on my hip and I could do the exercises all day long and I could walk. I mean, I wasn't walking with it. You know, I didn't have it. After two weeks, I had no crutches, no cocaine, no nothing anymore. And I was walking, but I was like walking like gingerly. <laughs> um, but after the baby was out, it was like a hundred times better. Wow. I wonder if it has anything to do with um, like the shifting of ligaments post-pregnancy and if maybe that expedited your recovery a little bit. I don't, I don't very know. very interesting. Not that we everybody, want. That was everybody's like thing was like, are you going to be able to have natural birth? And I'm like, they're telling me I can. And I did have natural birth and it was fast. And everybody goes, how's your hip? And I was like, it's never felt better. Like it once once that pressure was off and then, uh, that was it. Like I had him and then we went for my three month post-op, which also coincided with like my six week postpartum. So they kind of coincided and that was June, March, April, May. Yeah. Like little, like I want to say end of May we went and, uh, they said, yeah, or beginning of May is sometime in May. I remember that. And then we went and, they said, you know, he's like, you're cleared. He goes, your bone is healed. Like you are hundred percent healed. Like go ahead and go for it. Like, and I was like, like I can run. And my husband was like giving me like the death stare. Don't tell and her I, that. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't tell her that. And, and he's like, yeah, you're a hundred percent. He goes that that's unreal. He goes, it's unreal. It's all cleared up. You look. So I actually ended up, I walked that 10 K at the beginning of June that I did every year. I had walked it with two, both kids in the stroller. I just, you know, fast walked it. And, you know, that was when it all started going again. And I did uh, the Mount Desert Island half in October of that year of 2017 as my first run back. And then Millinock, it was my first marathon back. And I had a PR and everybody was like, I think I ran 256 at Millinock. Yep. And that was my first. So it was kind of like the last marathon before I broke my hip. First marathon after my healing had all done. And I had a PR, won it, and Gary, he looks at me and goes, something is wrong with you. And I was like, I don't know. It's something, like, I can just, like, I don't know. And I didn't have, like, a whole lot of training because I ran that half in October just to see if I could run. And I had a PR at the half in October at Mount Desert Island. And I ran with Erica Jessamine for quite a bit. I don't know if you're familiar with Erica, but she's another strong runner for yeah. me. And, uh, you know, she's won – the Hartford marathon and quite a few, she's a, she's a very good runner and uh, ran with her for the half until she blew by me at like 10 K and <laughs> took off. But I came in third overall and I had a PR and then I was like, well, I can probably run a marathon again. And then I ran and that's when um, Gary looked at me after Millinocket of 2017 and he says, you need to call Rob and you need to connect with Rob. And then, so I've been working with Rob Gomez since then. Um, Okay, so before we get to you working with Rob Gomez, I have one more question. You probably thought about it a lot because a lot of people have asked you, but really, can you think of anything you did or what happened that allowed you that miracle of recovering from 
breaking your hip, having a baby, and then a PR? Like, is there anything that you can think of that may have uh, precipitated your healing to be so successful or anything, any advice you can share for those who have sustained hip injuries who are listening? I, I honestly think it's my faith. I'm very strong in my faith. I, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I have had so many injuries and so many, and you know, a lot of it is learning about yourself, learning about your body, learning about what it can take, but you also have to have faith that this is what you're meant to do. And what does God want for you? Well, every time I have an injury, I have, I, in the back of my mind, I think, okay, God is telling me to take a step back. I need to look at something. There's something he wants me to see, whether it's, I need to put my more, put more attention to something else. Um, am I doing everything I can for my kids? Am I doing everything I can for my husband? Like, is there something in the back of my mind? Like, is God telling me to take a step back? And that's how I've had to train my brain because it's very easy to get down in the dumps. Like, especially like I was at my low of lows after that hip injury and I was like, Oh my God. And then when Tracy came to see me and it was like, she's like, you got to take it a different way, you know, look at it differently. And then it's like, I've always been strong in my faith. You know, my, we practice regularly, you know, my kids, you know, and we, that's how I grew up. And I just, to me, that I think is what keeps kept me going is there is faith that there's a reason this happened. There is a reason. I may not know it why now I may not understand it, but there's a reason it happened. I need to accept it. And I just need to learn from it. And you know, yeah, it sucks, but that's life. You know, you're, it's not always going to be sunshine and roses. So that's such yeah. a good lesson for now specifically too, for people. Yeah. I think that's Yeah. A- and it's like, that's life. Like, I mean, does do I want to be teaching from home using a whiteboard and a projector and zoom? No, but that it is what it is, you know? So yeah. And I think, I honestly think that's what it is. I think it's, I just, am strong in my faith. I, I trust that God knows best and I kind of just hope that that's what he wants me to do. <laughs> I think that, anyone listening to this, whether you are a person of faith or not, the lesson is the same, which is when you face a challenge, using that as a lesson and an opportunity to figure out what you can do to make the most of the setback. And it sounds like you really um, use a lot of, in in addition to your faith, a lot of mental energy to think about what you can do when you're injured to make the most of your setback. And um, that's a great lesson and tool for anyone, especially as Lisa just pointed out, right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's, what, what are you going to do with it? You can sit there and mope all day long, or you can think, thank God you have, or, you know, whatever you believe in. I mean, I thank God every day. I have two very healthy children and a husband that loves me and that we're a strong family and, you know, times get tough, but you know, there's always a family support system. I have a strong support system. My parents are down the road you know, I have so much, you know, I have three sisters and they're wonderful and we don't always get along, but if there's one thing, we've got each other's back, you know? And when I was, when that hip injury happened, all three of them were in that hospital for me. And, you know, it didn't matter if they had, you know, other things going on, they stopped what they were doing for me. So that, and that's just how I grew up. I grew up, you know, with that strong support system. So, you know, I, you know, I'm just very thankful. Love it. So let's move to, um, post hip surgery recovery PR and Gary telling you go get yourself a coach so you hire Rob Gomez yeah I work with Rob and and talk to us about what has happened in your life since you started working with Rob 
So when I started, I started January of 2018, started with Rob and I, he says, what's your goal? And I said, I want to break 250 at Bay of Fundy because everybody thinks it's not possible for a female to break 250 at Bay of Fundy because it's so tough. Like, and it is, it is legit tough. Everybody will tell you that it is terrible. It is awful. And, uh, Robert Ashby, who's won the race with me quite a few times. Uh, and I, I just remember being at the start line. So we worked from January till June. So we pretty much worked for almost, you know, five and a half months for this race. And he started me off slow. And then he introduced me to, you know, different kind of workouts and do this and do that. And, and we did it all virtually, you know, through, you know, social media, through email, whatever. And uh, June that I just will never forget in June that day comes and Robert Ashby looked me at the start line because we always run a warm up together. He goes, there's no way you're breaking 250 on this course. He goes, this course is two minutes slower than the average course. He's like, there's no way. He's like, this course is just naturally slower, which it is. It is. It's it's terrible. Like everybody wants to know why I love it so much. I don't know, but it, I love the course, but it is terrible. It is very hard. And I don't care though, you know, how hard it is. You don't tell somebody right before the race. There's no way they can hit their goal because you know what's going to happen. And yeah. And so, well, and he was saying it jokingly, like oh, okay. we're good, we're good friends. So sure. like, he's like, he's like, there's no way he's, you know, he's joking. He's like, there's no way he's like, this course is two minutes slower. And so him and I ran most of the first half of the race together. Um, and I kind of banked some time because I knew the sun was going to come out. It was going to get a little hotter later on in the morning. So I was, I mean, we were cruising and <laughs> I, everybody was like, Oh my God. And I crossed the finish line and it was like two forty nine eighteen. Wow. And <laughs> he gave me the biggest tug at the end. He goes, you need to run a flatter course. <laughs> he goes, he goes, that's <laughs> unreal. He, you know, and he's, you know, so we're, we've always been good friends, but he goes, he gave me a big hug. He goes, that is unreal. He goes, that that's fantastic. You know? And that, so no other females actually broken three on that course. So for, you know, that was my goal was break 250 on the Bay of Fundy course. And, and, you know, it's not a big race. It's a small race. You know, there's only 500 people, but that's the kind of races I like. I'm, I'm kind of over big races and lots of thousands of people. I like small town races. I like supporting small towns. That's why I like Millinocket. You know, I like, I, that's just who I am. And uh, so that's what happened in June. And then Rob, Rob Gomez, after I did it, he goes, he goes, you really ought to think about California. And I had run MDI that year. And I ran MDI. I think I ran it. I can't even remember what I ran at MDI. I used it as a training run for California. But And by California, just Rob had said, you really California should. California means California International Marathon, which is yep. in yep. December. And it's a, it's a pretty well-known course for people who are trying to qualify yep. for the Olympics, right? Yep. And that's what Rob says. He goes, you really should consider California. He goes, and I was like, I don't know. I don't even know if I can get that one. I said, I've got two kids. You know, at the time I have two kids, you know, Isaiah's just a year old. Isaiah just turned a year, you know, Olivia's, you know, three and a half. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if like this is going to fly with the family. And <laughs> I have to convince my parents to watch my kids for five days. I have to convince my husband to take five days in a row to time off to go see me run. Not like, not that he doesn't want to take five days off, but five days to fly to California in two days and back. And then <laughs> just to watch me run, you know. And I'm like, okay, I got to, I was like, how do I convince him? He goes, well, first off, you're going to fill out the elite application. And he goes, if you get a free bib, he goes, then you tell everybody about everything. So I filled out the elite application. They accept me, you know, for an elite bib. Um, so I didn't have to, I did the elite runners program. So I didn't have to pay them race fee. And 
so then I convince everybody, you know, my parents agree to watch the kids and, and, you know, we schedule it. And then like, I only have two personal days, so I can only take two days off from school. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, so we had to like strategically do this. By the way, I just want to point out, this is like the life of a mom. Like you're, you know, like I have to say, like if you were a guy, be like, well, my coach says I should try to OTQ at CIM. So I, I bought a ticket. Yeah, you're no, like, I like had to I, do yeah. in a row. Like before everything, I was like, okay, how, how can I finagle this A with the school, like B with, you know, finagle it so I'm not like ticking anybody off. And uh, so, no, I got, you know, my parents agreed to watch the kids and we ended up taking, I think, I think CIM was, I want to say it was a Saturday race. I'm trying to think. No, it was a Sunday it's a Sunday race. race. Yeah, yeah. Sunday race. Mm-hmm. So I think we went, I want to say we did a Friday to a Monday because mm-hmm. I think we came home on the Monday. So I took Friday and I took Monday off and that was it. And then, so we fly to California. So, you know, cross country, 3000 miles. And then we come back and, you know, and, but my goal with California was to qualify for the Olympic trials. And that was my one goal. And I mean, with CIM, like I know nothing about the course, so I don't even know. And except that they'd say, you know, the first half is a little bit more rolling Hills. The second half is pretty flat. Well, I'm a terrible flat course runner. Like, I don't know why, but for some reason I can't run fast on flat. Like I, I do better with elevation change. So I banked as much time as I could in that first half. And then when I crossed the finish and then I fell two miles from the finish. And I don't know, like, I I don't know. Like, I think my body was just like, and I, so it's like mile 24, I just like fell. Like I couldn't even tell you if I don't know. I don't believe I tripped over anything. I I literally think my body was just like, that's it. Like, and I, and everybody around you is yelling, get up. So I just, did you run, did you run in a pack? I mean, CIM in 2018, I, I recall the weather was nice. It was a very it was beautiful, it was full, beautiful. yeah, beautiful it was weather. Like 34 or five at the start. Mm-hmm. So for me being from Maine, that was like perfect. Like that's the best running weather. And, and I, I also recall that it was a, the field was crowded in terms of there were packs specifically <laughs> trying to qual- OTQ. So I would yeah. imagine you were running the entire time in a big pack of women do you think that contributed to your fall having to sort of jug- Not, juggle that? By that time, the packs had pretty much broken up. So everybody was kind of like scattered around and I knew I didn't have much time like wiggle room. Like I, when I was at 24, I was losing time and I was, I was like, I was like, Oh man. So I, I get up like everybody around me, like I fell and they were like, get up, just get up. And I just, I don't know. I sprung and I just went and I was like, Oh my God. And I kept looking at my watch cause I knew what I had to run. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm right there. And then it, it was like 244.28 or what? I don't even know. It was so close. And I just remember crossing the finish line. And I'm like, oh my good, ever loving. That's amazing. <laughs> this girl, so you, this girl from Fort Kent, Maine. <laughs> that's amazing. So how many miles did you have left between the time you fell and time you crossed the finish line in 244.28? Two. I was at mile two miles. Yeah. Do, mile. do you remember those two miles? Nope. Not a thing. Not a darn thing. I remember people yelling and screaming because everybody's at the end and everybody is literally just trying to get under that 245 time. So I just remember loads of people on either side of me, but my blinders were on so bad to just get across the finish line. Had you hurt yourself at all in the fall? Did you have any scrapes or anything? Oh, I was, I had a scrape down my knee. And my husband, because I, or like on my, because I wear, I wear compression sleeves when I run. And so my, my husband, like I scraped my knee and he goes, are you, I'm like, I just fell. I'm good. Like, I'm good. It was just like a scrape on my knee, but it wasn't anything like major. 
and uh, that was it. Like I, I couldn't believe it. I cried, and then I, and then Tracy and I had done this together, and she crossed behind me. She had missed it by thirty seconds. So yeah, so that's that's a question I had for you because I had read about that and I knew you guys had run that together. How 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 is I mean because Julie and I we run together. We know like we have friends that run, and you always want the best for your for your running partner, and you know you're excited for your accomplishment. How how is how do you how do you how do you deal with that when you know you're so excited and I'm sure she was super excited for you, but then to, for her to miss by so just such a little margin. How I, know. I was devastated for her. Like I you know because like we had set out to do this together. That was our one thing we had to do it. We wanted to do it together. And I mean I, I you know I said oh my god Tracy I'm so sorry. But the one thing about Tracy is she is upbeat positive attitude all the time. Like. You know, she, and she just looked at me and she said, nope, I'll get it another time. Like she go, you know, and she said, my body isn't responding to my training. So I clearly need to take a break. And, and so, you know, she was putting in the time she was doing her due diligence. It wasn't anything she did. She just like, she's like, I just need to take a break. This is, and she, you know, she's a lot with me. God's telling me to just slow down. So she's like, I'll get it another time because she's strong and she can do it. And she's done it. She just wasn't, wasn't on an OTQ certified course. Yeah. And that, and that still, that time is nothing to be ashamed of her time. Oh, no, no, not it's at all. It's such an arbitrary, that 245 is so arbitrary. It was oh yeah. It was the cutoff for, for qualifying for the Olympic trials. But I, I could imagine just seeing that and knowing that she was a good friend of yours and also now hearing how much she helped you come back from after your Oh hip. yeah, absolutely. How, that, that's such a, like a mixed feeling to be excited for yourself, but devastated for your, you know, your friend and your training partner and somebody who's really helped you. But it sounds like she had such a she had a healthy attitude about it too. And, and again, nothing to be ashamed of to huh. run a 245. No, like all the news articles up here, like, cause it's kind of a big deal. Like nobody from up here runs like we do. I mean, she's since like, she's working in Washington DC on her masters and then she's back home right now because of everything going on. But I mean, so it was kind of a big deal. Like just two people from small town, Northern Maine, you know, running in California let alone, you know, trying to qualify for the Olympic trials. So that was kind of crazy. But, you know, it was just, it was nice to just be out there and do it and, you know, support our town. Because there's not many, I can tell you, what, there's not as many, uh, I call everybody around here a fair weather runner. <laughs> They're not like me out there, you know, 24-7, 365. So, um, but yeah. It's, it's interesting because um, Maine, in spite of there not being as many um, non-fair weather runners like you, the ones who are, are amazing who come out of oh, Maine. Yeah. I dedicated. mean, I remember there's a woman who lived in this area for quite some time, and, and she moved to Maine. Her name, um, Kristen, I think it was Kristen Berry. Does that yep. ring a bell? Yep. Yep. Yeah. She has kids. Yep. She's a yeah. great, great person. She's there's some, I'm sorry. Go ahead. She's unreal. Her, Sherry Pierce. Yeah. Yeah, um, that whole group. They're wonderful people. They're absolutely wonderful. Yep. So like you, they're all really strong mother runners. So yeah. Maine produces with that crazy weather, some really, really strong runners, including yep. you. And so our last set of questions is we want to ask you, how was the trials? Tell us about it and your experience. Um, so so the trials, I was in the best shape of my life. I worked with Rob. We had a, I mean, I'm not even joking. I had the best training. Like it was going into it. I felt awesome. Like I used, I used Millinocket as a training run this year for that. And I trained through the winter and we had a treacherous winter is again, like I live in Northern Maine. We get like feet. I mean, we had snow last week. So that puts it in perspective. Like we, you know, like 
distinguishable snow last week not just like it falling like it actually stuck to the ground snow um <laughs> so i mean i wore shorts to run this morning it wasn't below freezing so i mean i had such a great training program and i went there and i was feeling awesome like i felt awesome my body felt great i felt good i felt awesome and i bar i they gave us all the new nike alpha flies and I was going to run in the next percent anyways, because that's what I wore for MDI, um, last MDI in 2019. So I missed the course record in MDI last year by 13 seconds. Oh. So I, and I wore those and I loved the next percents. They felt awesome. And I'm a Nike, I wear Nikes. That's just my shoe preference. Um, so I was like, Oh, I'll try these alpha flies out. I mean, I ran around the hotel in them and did, you know, and I said to my husband that morning, you know, and I had gotten both sets of shoes approved because I wasn't sure what I would wear and whatever. And I, I went and I said, I'm going to run in these. I said, what the heck? Like you only live once. Might as well give it a, you know, if I'm going to go, I might as well go out with a bang. Well, um, so I felt great. And then we wake up and the, I mean, the winds were like torrential, like just these winds were 25 mile an hour headwinds all the time. Like you kept thinking if I, turn this corner it's going to be at my back but those buildings made like a wind tunnel so it was literally in your face so you start this out not only do you have this 25 mile an hour wind but then i don't know whose bright idea that course was but those <laughs> those cone turns are exceptionally dangerous i mean picture a pack of like 200 people trying to make a sharp right hand turn around a cone i mean coming down a hill and then turning back up. I mean, you were just praying not to trip over somebody's feet. Like I was like, somebody is going to get really hurt here. So I don't know how that course was designed, but that was pretty scary. Um, so those, that unnaturalness of running, cause to me, that's not natural when you're running around cones. Like there must've been a better way to do that <laughs> where you could have run other, somewhere where you weren't doing that. Cause that's just not natural. Um, because if you, you're trying, you're basically trying to slow yourself down for that sharp curve, but then you're going up a hill. So you really can't get into any kind of momentum. So I gave a hundred percent props to those people who finished it. And then you look at the number of elite athletes who didn't even finish the race. I mean, it was, it was extremely grueling. I wasn't worried about the hills and it wasn't the hills that got me, but it was at, and then at mile 10, the right shoe and my alpha fly blew out. And so I had one shoe, the air pocket blew out. No. Oh yeah. Oh, you hadn't heard that. Uh -uh. <laughs> so here I am in the, you know, I'm like, okay, so I'm at mile 10. So I still have 16 miles to go. And I, and I, at first I didn't like, I realized it felt funny, but I didn't know what it was until I actually got to a point where there was nobody around, like where I could hear it. And it was making the psh, psh, because the air pocket was blown. So every time I would put my foot down, like, you know, the naturalness of those shoes is to run like you're running on pillows almost. But it, the left foot was, the right foot was not. And the right foot, so my toes were hitting the, you know, the forefoot of the shoe and it wasn't landing naturally because that was blown out. So it wasn't landing. So it literally became survival. Like at that the point, I was like, faster to be running unevenly with white. Yeah. So the, you have a 25 mile an hour wind in your face. You're running this weird course that I don't know who designed. And, <laughs> and the course was like, 
I mean, and I think some of the elites said the same thing. Like it was very unnatural. So you're running with these crazy winds, this, and then, you know, and then you're like, you know, cause it really temperature wise, it wasn't too terrible temperature wise. Um, but then my air, my shoes all blown out. So then I was like, well, so my hope, my head goal was a 240 and I was in 240 shape and I felt good about it. And I knew I could run a 240. Like I knew it. Like I, and I was at that point, I had to make the decision. I just want to finish. I want to say I finished this race. I don't give a crap what my time is. I just literally need to see the finish line and I don't care. And I said, I would like to not be last. Like as long as I'm not last and I was not last. I did finish in like a 301 and change and which isn't terrible, but if you're an elite athlete in the Olympic trials, you should be running a sub three, you know, you should be running a sub three. But I was like, considering all these obstacles, whatever, so be it. Of course I was like devastated. Cause I was like, man, I just worked my rear end off for like 16 weeks, you know, put myself in the best shape of my life. And I was like, okay, so clearly this wasn't my plan. And Rob and I talk and, you know, he's like, what is your goal? And I was like, well, I'll try Fredericton in May. And then COVID-19 happened and Fredericton got canceled. And I was like, well, then I'll try, you know, I'll just plan for Fundy in June. And then that got canceled. And then, then, so then like we've been talking and, you know, then I was like, well, my goal will just be the beach weekend in August. I'll just go for a 10K PR. That gets canceled. So then he's like, so I was like, okay, how about we scale it back? And I'm just like, can we do a recovery plan? So we've kind of like, this has like been my third week in, in kind of recovery. Like I've cut back, like the first week we cut my mileage back in half. It's like, I'm just going to cut your mileage back in half with no workouts, no nothing. And so like, this is my third week, no workouts, no nothing. It's just been, you know, running miles and like slowly increasing the miles back on. And then he's like, and then we're just going to like hope that either Maine happens in the fall or MDI happens in the fall. And I might do one of those. Um, it's just so up in the air right now. So to think training, you know, you don't want to be training all the time because your body needs a break. So that's what I had said to him. My body clearly needs a break because right now it's done. Like it's just, it's tired. So, you know, we, this has been nice the last three weeks. I've just kind of, I've run like what we still have a plan and it's, I've run what I've had to run, but there's no, he took out workouts for three weeks. So not having that thought of, Oh God, I got to go run. Like, intervals here or I got to get on my treadmill like just not getting on my treadmill like is huge because I do a lot of that on the treadmill because I can't I don't have a flat place to run like if I were to try and do speed work or I don't have a track we don't have tracks up here I mean we're lucky to you know have what we have so I just you know it's just been kind of nice it's been really nice actually do you feel like having this recovery time and this period of uncertainty has allowed you to process what happened at the trials and recognize that what you did was amazing, especially after the stories have come out as to how many people had to drop out because the course was so challenging. Do you feel like your perspective has shifted a little bit as a result? Yeah, you know, I was pretty disappointed. I I mean, I was pretty disappointed at first. Like that's everybody, you know, especially when you have that goal and you know you're in the shape to do it. And like, the training couldn't have been more on and you know, you're not injured. Like for the first time in my life, I'm not going into race with an injury in the back of my mind and I'm not going, you know, and it was just like, you know, you're in there and it's just like, you know what? It wasn't meant to be. And it just, you know, there's uh, I'm t- something out there for me to be doing. And I, you know, cause I told my husband, I said, maybe I'll just stop racing after the trials. But now it's like, I have that itch. Like I know I can just, 
And I said to him, I have that one goal. Like I want to break 240 and I know I can do it because I had myself in the shape to do it. Like I, I had myself there. I was there. Like it was right in front of me and I just, stuff happens. Like, <laughs> what can you Well, do? fortunately you've got a lot of years ahead of you. You're, yeah. you're there. You're young for a marathoner and you have a lot of miles behind you, but you haven't been running your entire life either. So you're a relatively young runner in terms of experience too, which works in your favor. But there's one more thing um, about that course that um, I've read and heard, and you could probably confirm this too. Another element of it is that the concrete um, was particularly hard as a result of it being on busy Atlanta streets. Yeah. So um, that coupled with the air pocket in your shoe, um, yeah. I, I'm just making you feel even better. I'm just saying okay. there were so many elements. Okay. My feet were all blister. I mean, and I went to the Nike rep and I did show them what ha I said. I am not a complainer. I said, please do not take this as a complaint. I'm just letting you know what happened to me. So you can be aware, you know, I'm sure of many people have this. I mean, for God's sakes, um, people won the race wearing them. So, you know, like you can't say, you know, and there many people who did very well were wearing them. So I said, I just may have been given a dud. Like I am not, and they were, you know, they were super thankful and, um, they, like they said, I'm going to get another pair. And I said, I might still have PTSD. I may never wear them, but yes, I will take the, the pair that is owed to me, you know, and they were, you know, and they, the, so I've been going back and forth with them. Obviously, the whole COVID-19 has added a whole new element to everything. But yeah. I'm impressed that you finished with that. I mean, like, I, I think I would have been at that point. So first of all, psychologically, just like, you know, this isn't happening. And, and also just that uneven, you know, be, not being able to really run your natural gait. That's, that's okay. amazing. So to be able yeah. to mentally push through that and yeah. have that determination to get through to the end, that you should be really proud of that. So. I finished. That's what I said. And I wasn't last. So, <laughs> and you got in a race before we were shut down from racing. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's a huge accomplishment in and of itself. And we have a feeling that, um, with all of the races being canceled, perhaps your return to racing, maybe Millinocket, which would be sort of a nice, uh, uh, full circle if that occurs. I hope so. Yeah, so um, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today in the middle of uh, all of the Zooming and teaching that you're doing. Before we go, yep. we wanted to ask one non-running related question. You are a high school math teacher, yep. what, but, and also used to be formerly a, high school, a middle school math teacher. Right. What advice do you have for parents and students right now to get through the last month of Zoom school, if any? Drink wine. <laughs> yes, that's a <laughs> No, I honestly, I mean, we have we have two weeks left of students, and then teachers, we have two more weeks under that after that. So I have four weeks left after this week, and I, I literally, it's a matter of counting down the days at this point. Like it is, it's not natural to teach like this, and it was thrown at us like, surprise, you're doing it. So like with me, I have a gigantic. I mean, you'd probably laugh, but I, I brought my husband's pickup and I brought home like a gigantic five foot whiteboard thing and I've set it up with a projector and I run two computers and I so I try and hold like an actual class when I do it um because the only way to teach math for me like I I want to teach the math I don't want to give things and then have kids try to figure it out that's just not me so like I mean I'm lucky that a good chunk of my kids actually do show up to class meetings every you know and we meet three to four times a week and 
Um, so, and most of them show up and I just record them and I upload them. So they have access to them if they can't like meet on that time for some reason, if they have an appointment or whatever, but then it's like an addition. My daughter is in kindergarten. I'm thankful that she's actually, she's quite advanced and does most of her stuff on her own. Like I just say, do this and she does it. Um, but, and I have like, my sitter still comes if my husband's working and I'm working just to, for an hour with her, like, so I can teach my thing and then do, you know, do hers. But, you know, we just make it work. I mean, you gotta, you gotta do what works for you and like do when you can do it. Like I know with like my daughter, they say with the, you know, the kindergarten level, they should be working an hour ish a day. So we break it up, you know, work a little bit in the morning and a little bit after lunch. And, you know, she reads to me at night and we just do it that way. I mean, with me, I mean, I meet with my classes as they go, my seniors, I'm done with my seniors. So they're kind of excited, you know, and that has like been a little bit of a relief. Cause I mean, I was going doom, 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 like one zoom session to the next. And you know, it's, it's a lot. So it's literally just, it's survival. Like, I, I don't know how else to, like with me, it's literally, I'm just trying to survive. And I think that's what 90% of the population is trying to do right now with virtual teaching and learning. Cause you know, there's, we didn't, nobody expected this and this is not what we were trained to do. So I wasn't trained to teach from the computer. I was trained to teach kids in a classroom. So. Amen. I mean, it's so we true. Have, <laughs> we have eight days, you know, that we have to figure out next year. You know, and we have to come up with three plans, like a remote learning plan and a, you know, back to school plan and a half and half plan. And I mean, oh my gosh, like I, I'm, I'll be ready for June 17 to be here and done. <laughs> well, thank you um, for all that you are doing. We are so grateful for all of the teachers out there who are working and parenting. And um, we know that the, you already have the tools to be able to get through this because you're an athlete. And if you haven't read it already, there was a really nice article today in the New York Times about by Brad Stahlberg about how endurance athletes are especially equipped to endure this pandemic. And you in particular are, especially as a teacher as well. Um, so thank you for taking time out of your day today to speak with us. Your story is so motivating, so <laughs> inspiring, and um, we're just delighted that you um, gave us the opportunity to have this conversation. So thank awesome. you, Sarah. Thanks, thank you Sarah. so much for having me. Thank you. Have a great okay. one. Yes, you too. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.